Hello and welcome to Karen's Medical Corner. I'm Karen O'Day. I'm a certified family nurse practitioner and a certified nurse midwife. I own and operate Evercare Family Practice. My specialty is family health care, bioidentical hormone replacement for men and women, as well as aesthetics. I'd like to welcome you to the podcast today. I've been absent from the podcast for a bit of time due to some family medical issues and now uh, ready to resume. I'd like to talk about a common health complaint today that I see recurrently in clinic, and that is uh, tinnitus, otherwise known as ringing in the ears. So tinnitus is defined as primarily a subjective sensation where a person will perceive some type of sound in their ears that is not actually in the environment. Sometimes it can be objective, if it is pulsatile tinnitus where you are hearing your heartbeat in your ears but the majority of the time it's a subjective noise. The noise can range from a high-pitched buzzing sound to a roaring noise to the sound of waves or to a train rumbling. It is really subjective on how the person is perceiving the sound. The majority of time, 70% of the time, tinnitus is related to a high-frequency sensory neural hearing loss which can be due to a number of things, the most common being um, noise exposure, um, presbycusis, which is uh, sensory neural hearing loss due to aging. So that's what we see the majority of time with tinnitus, but it is a, a common complaint that we see in clinic. The other thing we need to clarify before continuing is the pronunciation of tinnitus. It is pronounced tinnitus. It's spelled T-I-N-N-I-T-U-S. It's oftentimes mispronounced as tinnitus. Uh, as a reference, things that end in the word I, in the spelling I-T-I-S are usually related to inflammation, and tinnitus is not an inflammatory process. So the common presentation of a patient with tinnitus is that they'll make an appointment because they have what they call ringing in their ears. And when I see them in clinic, I usually will first look for wax buildup because wax buildup is one of the causes of tinnitus, one of the 30% of the other causes. If they don't have any wax in their ears, then routinely the next step that I do is refer them for an audiogram and that's a full hearing test. It includes the um, beeps where you raise your hand as well as acoustic reflexes where you hear a thumping sound uh, inside of the ear with the testing and tympanometry where you'll feel pressure and it tests how the eardrum is moving. And that should be done by a doctor of audiology. Hearing aid dealers are not trained or have the education to do that type of testing. They're only trained to sell hearing aids. So once I do the hearing test, if it comes back as a sensory neural hearing loss and everything looks good with the patient's ears, one of the ways that we treat that is through the use of hearing aids. Hearing aids don't treat the tinnitus, but when you have tinnitus, and you correct that hearing loss, they're hearing sounds that they haven't heard for decades, and it basically masks the sound of the noise. When you take the hearing aids out, you'll have tinnitus again because the hearing aid is no longer masking that sound. They also have maskers that you can have 
put into the hearing aid. My husband knows more about that, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, but if they don't have, if a patient comes in and they don't have a high frequency central neural hearing loss and they're having tinnitus, then we have to look in another direction. What could be causing that tinnitus? It's not the 70% due to the high frequency loss. So obviously one thing we're doing first thing in clinic is we're getting a patient's blood pressure. So if they have high blood pressure, a lot of times I'll tell them, you know, this could be exacerbated by your high blood pressure. We still need a hearing test, but treating the high blood pressure oftentimes treats the tinnitus if it's not caused by a sensory neural hearing loss. Sinus problems and allergies can also cause uh, ringing in the ears, as well as excessive caffeine intake that can be in the form of coffee, tea, chocolate, any type of food product that has caffeine in it. Thyroid disorders are also a common cause of tinnitus, as well as one of uh, the most common of the 30% uh, can be aspirin toxicity. Uh, especially during cold and flu months where people are sick and they take a lot of aspirin and then they'll start having ringing in their ears. Most of the time with aspirin toxicity, it is reversible. There are occasions when aspirin toxicity is not reversible, but that would require a lot of aspirin to be taken. Other causes of tinnitus can be B12 deficiency as well as Lyme disease. Uh, different prescription medications. Uh, iron deficiency uh, can cause pulsatile tinnitus, not so much the ringing in the ears, but the hearing of the heartbeat. Uh, diabetes does not cause tinnitus, but diabetes uh, increases problems with sensory neural hearing loss, can actually cause sensory neural hearing loss, and then people will start to have tinnitus. So it's very important to treat the diabetes, not that it's going to treat the tinnitus at that point once it's being caused by the hearing loss, or but you can make the hearing loss slow down in its progression. High cholesterol can also cause tinnitus as well as uh, kidney disease. And then the most common referral that I get is for Meniere's disease. Uh, when I was working in ear, nose, and throat as a specialty, Anytime somebody had tinnitus, they would come in most of the time, not all the time, but most of the time, and say that they were told they had Meniere's disease. Actually, this is usually not the case. It can be the case, but it's not the one of the most common causes of tinnitus. Trauma can also cause you to have ringing in your ears, and um, one of the more rare types of uh, issues, which would also cause the sensation of a pulsing in your head would be a dehiscence of the uh, carotid cochlear area. There's a thin plate in that area and if you have thinning of that bone uh, or there's a problem where it becomes dehissed you can have pulsatile tinnitus. So the first thing that I would do if it's not a sensory neural hearing loss would be to do a blood work which would be a complete metabolic panel uh, cholesterol panel, uh, complete blood count, uh, an ESR, which is an erythrocyte sedimentary rate, a thyroid panel, a B12, and Lyme disease titers. And if all of that is negative and they're still having problems with tinnitus, specifically pulsatile tinnitus, then I would do a, a high-resolution uh, CAT scan of the temporal artery. So once we determine the cause, 
then we know better how to treat it. Again, most common cause being hearing loss. But the reason I wanted to do this podcast was to give information on other causes because it's not simply just, hey, you have Meniere's disease or you have a sensory neural hearing loss. Even though sensory neural hearing loss is the most common, it's very important for patients to get worked up to get appropriate treatment. Um, Once you correct the B12 deficiency or you correct the thyroid disorder or uh, iron deficient anemia, then the tinnitus will usually start to subside. And then the other underlying problems like Lyme disease or kidney disease are things that can be chronic health issues that can cause significant health care problems that need to be found, diagnosed, and treated appropriately. So those are the main causes of tinnitus. Uh, treatment options depend on what the cause of the tinnitus is. I did want to uh, talk a little bit about... Um, the sensory neural hearing loss that uh, causes tinnitus because it's not always corrected with a hearing aid and sometimes a hearing aid isn't appropriate if the hearing loss is very subtle. I've had several patients in clinic who have been very disturbed by their tinnitus but they weren't hearing aid candidates because the hearing loss was very mild and so there are certain things that you can do to help that patient, uh, one of them being uh, a masker. And so I have uh, Jim sitting right next to me, and I wanted to have him give a little bit of information on maskers for tinnitus that are not really appropriate to be treated with a hearing aid. Can you give us a little bit information on that, Jim? Uh, sure. Um, uh, truly, uh, if you're not wearing a hearing aid, the best masker would be a fan in your room, okay? Now, I understand that that's not uh, a clinical tool that we suggest, but it is very appropriate because it's a nice white noise uh, with a very wide band of uh, sound coming to you, which uh, does the trick as far as at least a segment of that noise will mask or overshadow the, the internal noise that the the individual is uh, is hearing okay um, as far as using hearing aids um, <laughs> you know I'm not necessarily a big fan of using the masker tool although there are many many hearing aids out there that give you the option um, a lot of it is because it is subjective um, I would venture to say uh, the majority of patients over the course of a year or two will get acclimated to the sound. And not that I'm uh, poo-hooing tinnitus, because it can affect some uh, individuals very uh, significantly emotionally to the point where they have to take meds to uh, control their anxiety due to that tinnitus. But for the majority of people, if they are evaluated, such as how uh, Karen was talking about, and they're therefore reassured that there's no underlying pathology that's causing them harm, they adjust. They um, get to the point where it becomes part of them and is no longer that central thing that's driving them batty. Okay, um, I'm quite familiar with that individual because 
Um, while I'm <clears throat> rather late in my years, I've had tinnitus for over 60 years. Uh, that was due to uh, childhood uh, ear infections that uh, had caused me to ring. That, and I do believe that I was given some myosin medicine back in the day, and uh, it caused me to ring quite a bit. Yes, and that's another cause of, of tinnitus. It can cause some damage and cause you to have uh, ringing if you are taking uh, myosin-type antibiotics. Um, and so we do know that some of those are ototoxic, and you have to be very careful, monitor uh, blood levels with those as well. Um, the reason Jim is not on camera is he agreed to uh, give some information as long as I didn't put him on the camera. So I don't mind being a disembodied voice. <laughs> <laughs> so he is a disembodied voice. One thing that people do read about often and I get asked about is uh, tinnitus retraining. And they do offer tinnitus retraining programs. They are very expensive. You send off for for the whole program, they'll send it to you. They cost around $10,000. There is, if somebody is interested in doing tinnitus retraining, a much simpler way to do that. You find some very light um, meditation-type music, spa-type music, and you can play it on your iPhone or whichever phone on iTunes. You hook it up to uh, your earbuds, and you put it on the very lowest level that you can hear. And you start slow. So you would play that music with no other sound in the background when you're not stressing out. You could be doing housework, doing whatever, but you put that music on and you start it about an hour a day. And then you work up two hours a day after a week or so, three hours a day. But ultimately, you need to work up to doing this retraining where you're having this in your ears for about eight hours a day. Is that very realistic for most people? Not for most people, but some people have tried it, and it will literally cost you about $11 a month and the cost of a phone and earbuds. And everybody's got a phone, so almost everybody has a cell phone. So that's one way that you can do it. You can't do the music on, say, a radio where you're just listening to it. You have to have the earbuds in your ears. And again, the key is the absolute lowest sound that you can hear that music on. And and so why does that work? Well, I'm going to have Jim, again, kind of talk about why that tinnitus retraining with that music works. Can you give us some um, information? Sure. Um, basically... What it's doing, the intent of that entire training is to retrain the limbus to ignore, again, we're back to ignoring the tinnitus. So it no longer becomes a, uh, a significant factor in your emotional life. But ultimately, just like I had said a few minutes ago, the idea is acceptance and avoidance of that as being the central thing that's going on in your mind. Um, you know, it's just a more rigorous um, uh, training technique rather than uh, the long route that I took when I was younger. Uh, you know, I alluded to the fact that I was very young getting tinnitus and the side effect of it was I was I perceived myself as hearing fine, except I was constantly hearing mosquitoes. 
I drove my poor family insane. Uh, you never wanted to go camping with me because I'm the one that always heard the mosquitoes in the tent. Um, and I didn't know until I got into graduate school almost uh, 17 years later what the heck I was hearing. You know, by then, I had acclimated to it. And so one other question that I get a lot from patients, and I think you can probably explain it much more succinctly and, and better than I can, is why sensory neural hearing loss or other, primarily sensory neural hearing loss, why is it perceived as tinnitus? What's going on with the brain? It, it's one of the things that we describe is sensory neural hearing loss. Um, it's sort of a catchphrase because we really don't know is the damage to your hearing at the site of the cochlea, the site of the eighth nerve, which is the uh, nerve, uh, the cranial nerve, uh, responsible for inputting uh, the 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 uh, mechanical sound that's hitting the ear and going to the sensory cells in the cochlea, and it goes to the brain. We don't know if it's one site, the cochlea, or the eighth nerve, or both. So that's why we have the catchy little phrase sensory neural hearing loss. Now, the best analogy for why we buzz when we have damage done is sort of a, uh, like a bad speaker. Uh, for those of you who have had their, your stereo speakers, especially back in the 80s and 90s when a lot of them went bad, um, uh, when they started to go bad, you hummed. Okay, the speaker would give off a humming sound because of the damage to it. Well, you're having damage done to your ear. Now, whether it's in the uh, cochlea part or the nerve or both, we don't know truly. Um, that's why we say sensory neural. But it's essential damage there that is causing a distortion that your brain is picking up as tinnitus. Thank you, Jim. And then uh, since you brought up the eighth cranial nerve, an, another reason sometimes why people have tinnitus, which we always look for, and we can look for that via MRI, would be uh, acoustic neuroma, which is basically a small tumor on the eighth cranial nerve. It's one of the more rare forms, although uh, while working in New Hampshire, I saw at least a dozen or more in that area of people who had um, acoustic neuromas, and that's sometimes treated by watching and waiting, but oftentimes by surgical intervention. So, um, this is a basic rundown on tinnitus, just to give some overall information. Can you think of any other information you want to give, Jim, or have we about covered the topic? The, well, so as to not scare too many people, the acoustic neuroma, as you said, is very rare. Um, in fact, it was only in uh, that one place in New Hampshire where I'd seen the majority of the acoustic neuromas, and even there, it was still a very small percentage. Um, in the 40 years that I've been practicing as an audiologist, I've only seen uh, 16 patients, of which you referred, I think, 12 or 13 to me. The rest of my 23 years before I even practiced with you, uh, no. 
I saw just a couple. I was just the lucky girl yeah. for the diagnosis. One other um, ending uh, topic on tinnitus, and this is probably one of the most important, although not super common either, although I have had more than two or three dozen people who have had it, is uh, tinnitus caused by a sudden sensory neural hearing loss. And so that can be very significant. Most of the time with tinnitus, people will have kind of a gradual onset. And that's why we have 70% that are caused by sensory neural hearing loss. It comes on slow with the hearing loss. People don't really notice it. One of the first symptoms is ringing. But one thing that people really need to be careful of, and this is very, very important, is sudden sensory neural hearing loss. That would be a lot of times people will go to bed, they'll wake up in the morning, and they have a buzzing in one ear. Uh, that is an asymmetrical uh, ring. You're not hearing it on one side. You only hear it in another. And a lot of times they will have had a significant drop in their hearing. I see a lot of patients who will tell me they didn't notice there was a hearing loss until somebody called on the phone. They answered the phone and they couldn't hear out of that ear. They had a significant buzzing and sometimes some vertigo. And a lot of times people will wait to see if it gets better. If you ever wake up with buzzing or all of a sudden you have a buzzing in your ear, that wasn't there the day before, you need to instantly call your primary care provider and tell them that you've had a sudden onset of ringing and they should immediately refer you to audiology. This is a very simple diagnosis. An audiogram will tell immediately if you have a sudden sensory neural hearing loss. Now most of the time, if you can treat this within five weeks of its occurrence, you have a higher probability of having the hearing restored to a degree than if you don't treat it at all. And, and that's controversial. Some people say don't treat it at all. But usually if you start treatment, which is with steroids uh, and an antiviral medication, you can oftentimes restore the hearing. Uh, if you do nothing, you do have a percentage of the time where the hearing will come back on its own. But there's also a high percentage where you'll have that uh, hearing loss that's now permanent. We don't know exactly what causes all types of sudden sensory neural hearing loss, but one of the most common causes is a viral infection. So one thing I'll ask patients frequently when they come in with a sudden loss is, have you recently had a cold? Have you recently had an eye infection? Have you had a runny nose? Because her, uh, and also, or have you had a cold sore? Herpes simplex virus is one of the main causes of uh, sudden high frequency neural hearing loss and it attacks that eighth cranial nerve and if we can treat that with something like uh, Valtrex and uh, prednisone there's a high probability that the hearing can be restored. It's not a hundred percent but it is uh, better to me than not doing any treatment and then you do repeat audiograms over time to see how the hearing is coming back. Although I will say that with the prednisone, it is not a four-day dose. It is not a five-day dose. A lot of times people with a sudden sensory neural hearing loss need six weeks, uh, sometimes more, of treatment. So it does require being seen by somebody who is trained to treat it and who uh, has the ability to do uh, serial hearing tests and oftentimes that's in an ear nose and throat office we do it at our office just simply because I do have training would you like to put any information in on the sudden sensory neural hearing loss Jim it's 
can be exceedingly uh, frustrating because most of the time people ignore it for a while, thinking that they either have a wax plug or that they just have fluid behind the ear. The one problem that you see um, with a lot of these, uh, not just hearing loss in general, but with the sudden hearing loss, is that people will poo-hoo it, will just dismiss it thinking, ah, and providers do and they providers do, do that as well sometimes. Yeah. I've had people come in with a high frequency sudden loss and they've been told they have wax in their ears and there's no wax in there. And so you really don't ignore a sudden loss or a sudden onset of ringing. It's something that can be very serious and you really need to get to a specialist right away. Exactly. You know, one other aside, and that is I get so many people that come in that swear up and down if just the tinnitus would stop they'd hear better okay no <laughs> that's not the case tinnitus is a symptom most of the time of hearing loss it is not the cause of the hearing loss it is the symptom and that's why it's important to be evaluated um, you know a hearing test is appropriate but especially as, as Karen was saying with the sudden sensory neural hearing loss, the key to success, the key to increasing your odds of being one of those that get significant improvement in your hearing, if, and occasionally I see this complete recovery, um, timing is important. Do not poo-hoo it. Get in to be seen and evaluated. And if you tell your PCP, that you've had a sudden drop in hearing and they can't see you for a month, you tell them immediately that you want a referral to ear, nose, and throat because this is something that needs to be, this is an ear, nose, and throat emergency. It is not even urgent. It is an emergency. If you have a sudden drop in hearing and a sudden onset of tinnitus, you need treatment right away and you need to be tested right away to see what's going on with that uh, uh, condition. So I think we'll wrap it up here, and I appreciate everybody listening. If you have any questions, concerns, or issues regarding this, please feel free to email me at evercarefamilypractice at gmail.com, or you can contact us through our website at www.evercarefamilypractice.com. You can call the office at 505-780-8301. We'd be glad to answer uh, any questions or uh, concerns that you may have. And uh, thank you so much for listening. And I wish everyone health and happiness and the ability to continue to make your own healthcare choices for your healthcare needs uh, that you may have arise. Thank you.